want me to do the intro? I can do it. Okay, go on. Hello and welcome to Red Femme. Today, with my host, Jen, we're going to talk about Twin Flames Universe, the cult that had two documentaries made about it, one by Netflix and one by Amazon Prime. The Amazon Prime one is far superior. If you only have to watch one, definitely watch the Amazon one. Um, why are you laughing? If you only have to watch one, like, this is part of the stipulation of listening to the episode. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think that you should watch it. It's an interesting, you know, uh, cultural artifact, so. And the question we're asking to wrap around this discussion of the documentary is, why do women seek love more than men? And I also think there is something really kind of salient about transgenderism. As, it, yeah. 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 So it represents both those two, I think, the, and how, those themes. And how they fit together, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to start with your observations? Right. So for a bit of background, people who haven't, you know, watched... Done, the, done their homework. Done their homework, watched one or other documentaries, though do watch the Amazon rather than the Netflix. Basically... It's an online cult that had become a real cult. And there, it's this couple called Jeff and Shalia. And they're, they're into New Age spirituality. And their claim is that they have found a twin flame love. And a twin flame love, twin flames and kind of silly New Age stuff, is this idea that there is another person who represents the other side of your soul. And there's a masculine and a feminine, and they come together to be one entity, one flame, and you can have perf- a perfect relationship that fully completes you, fully completes all your needs, find and find true happiness with your twin flame. Um, so these two... It's like New Age soulmates. Yes, yeah. So these two set up um, online classes telling... I was about to say telling people how to find their twin flame, but telling (laughs) women how to find their twin flame and some, you know, transsexual males how to find their twin flame. And um, basically they encouraged stalking behavior of men who had rejected these women. And these women were often, in my analysis, middle-class women with really supportive, loving, nice families who had taken their first rejection by a man very, very, very badly um, and had become convinced that this person was their soulmate or their twin flame. And they would sign up for these classes. And Jeff and Shalia, this totally bizarre couple, Jeff is like a thin, half-Greek, like spindly, weird man. Shalia is this round faced new age mama who doesn't say anything except she kind of laughs intermittently at weird times um but they set up these classes to show women how to basically stalk and harass men into coming back to them but there was also this idea that you need to work on yourself and through working on yourself quote unquote you would attract the man eventually And this was done through something called a mirror exercise. So a mirror exercise is if I was angry at Jen and I said, Jen, you know, 
I don't like that you don't wash your socks or something. <laughs> Jen does wash her socks. But if that were the case, I would turn it around and say, the mirror exercise is going, I don't like when I don't wash my socks. And you would, and of course, there's more complex examples. So it's the idea that everything you say and think and feel is projection. Yes. And it's really about you. Yes. It's a way of blaming yourself for everything. Well, that means you can't have an, a, a valid take on anything. Yes. And I think it comes from... Um, apparently they didn't come up with it. It's been a thing in new agey kind of mental health exercises for a long time. I think it does probably was started to address projection and deconstruct and dismantle projection. For people who are not at all self-critical and just complain about others, it's maybe a good way to get them to reflect a bit. Yes. And some people do do straight up projection in a very obvious way quite incredible way yeah. but that's not that's a very minor defense or maybe, mechanism to be honest it's not all pervasive usually in anyone and maybe you have like a co-worker who's lazy and you're like i'm mad at susan because she's lazy and then if you turn that around on yourself you can kind of think what about laziness triggers me where does it come from in my childhood i can understand how it would be potentially done in the right context quite a, a, an instrument for some some productive self-reflection. But basically, within this context of a cult, it just turned into everything's your fault, whatever. Well, it was a way of saying if they if somebody had a criticism of them, of Chilia and Jeff, yeah. they would immediately be able to turn it around and say, no, you're talking about yourself. This is what you think about you. Yeah. And it's a way of kind of presenting yourself as the all-knowing. What's interesting is no one ever turned around and said, well, Jeff... Maybe yeah. you need to do the mirror exercise because you're really talking about you and it's nothing to do with me. It's a way of just absolving, like, it's nothing to do with me. This is your stuff, even when people are objecting things that were perfectly valid and normal, yes. you know, objections. And what they did with these classes and this community through Facebook and I think it was Google Hangouts, because I think it even started before the explosion of Zoom. I think it was Google Hangouts what they guaranteed was what they called harmonious twin flame union. So that it was a guarantee that the man that rejected you and that you're really upset about would come into your life. Of course, this didn't happen. And in fact, a woman was arrested for stalking. But what was interesting about that is that she went to a nightclub that her ex-boyfriend, who she wouldn't leave alone, he was there, but she didn't know. And then when she told Jeff and Shalia, they were so kind of overexcited that she'd gone that mm. they kept trying to say, no, admit you went there on purpose. Admit that you did. Yeah. She was like, no, I actually didn't. And they were like, no, you did. You were living in your true self. You were going after your real flame. And I, I think also for people who, it was like Jeff and Shalia knew who your twin flame was. So it's the idea yes. that they're yeah. also possessed with psychic powers so it would either be this thing of, yeah, you know, the childhood sweetheart that these women had always pictured themselves being with, and then it was just this big bad thing in their life that they'd broken up, and it was like the first sort of blow they'd had to a kind of picturesque narrative of their life. Or they just picked people that they said, oh, we know this person, they're your twin flame. Yeah. Yeah. And But that woman had gotten to the point that there was a restraining order against her. Already, yeah. Yeah, which is why that she she was she eventually was arrested. Anyway, eventually this whole um, precept started to fall apart 
because the twin flame reunions were not happening. The men were not coming back. Um, they, they got restraining orders. They told them to fuck off. One, for with one woman's example, turned out he was gay. And he had a boyfriend. And he was like, I'm just, it's just not going to happen. You're a nice lady, but sorry. So what did they do to solve this? Because it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee in their program. And because it was 90% heterosexual women, they couldn't pair them off with each other, which would have been an ideal situation because they can have total control. They can get them this twin flame union that they want. So they started telling about half of the heterosexual women that they were, in fact, men and had a male, quote unquote, gender identity. And this was supported by the whole theology of the whole thing, because a twin flame is a, a, a divine masculine and a divine feminine together. So they just decided half the group of these women were divine masculines. Interestingly, there was one lesbian couple involved, and they had quite a sweet story. They were college or university girlfriends. They broke up and basically couldn't face... (laughs) They both joined twin flames at the same time about each other? No, no, no. No, I know. I'm just kidding. Um, And basically they went and had... Um, heterosexual relationships and they had children and then had to accept like no actually we're lesbians we want to be together so they left their husbands moved in together and were raising their something like five young children together this this kind of romance story and they joined as a couple because they thought oh this is so nice and jeff and shalia would use this couple to see look our program works Our program is great. We got this lesbian couple together that are in a perfect twin flame union. And they also had the whole LGBT thing going on. So they were saying, oh, we're really LGBT positive. Look at this lesbian couple. But when this whole divine masculine, divine feminine thing came into play, we got to see how transgenderism acts as conversion therapy for lesbians in real time in this documentary. Because Jeff started saying... Anne, I believe her name was, you have to, who's the slightly more masculine of the two, you have, like, a totally gender-conforming woman, you have to be a man. And it was pressuring her to change her name and say that we should be calling you he. And and that your name should be Dan. And your name should be Dan. Not Anne, Dan. (laughs) And they were really pressuring them, and eventually they're just like, we can't take this anymore. One, one, they did try, like, one cut her hair and was... Yeah. trying to maybe thinking of, about transitioning and whatever. And then eventually they're just like, no. Sadly, really sadly and unfortunately, they were successful in grooming and brainwashing and coercing some women to go through, not only with the social transition, quote unquote, but the medical transition. Yeah. So a very tragic thing. I mean, there was one couple that were women... And they knew each other, you know, were women, even though they'd allotted one as a man. And they were both straight. They are both straight. And then they were just told, like, oh, no, you know, you're attracted to women and she's going to be attracted to you because you're actually a man, you're actually divine masculine. And when her mom is on the Amazon Prime documentary and she just says, you know, we had a phone call and I said, are you a lesbian? And she said, no. <laughs> She's like, but you're going to do this? She was like, yes. And then it was like, they, they they hadn't met each other. And then they flew to meet each other and start living together. I just remember thinking, what 
what possibly were the conversations they were having I know. in private? And did they sort of meekly try to have sex? These like completely heterosexual women trying to forge this union because this these cult leaders had said, oh, but you know, you just need to get through your barriers or through your opposition to this because really you're each other's perfect partners and, and twin flames. Yeah, so that's basically, did I miss anything? That's basically a recap of the documentary Vanity Fair did an article that was quite critical of them. And Vice, I think. And Vice. But it was really the Vanity Fair article that was very in-depth. A lot of people left. And the le- when the lesbian couple left, because they'd been the supposed big success story, yeah. and they were coaches, it was all ran a bit like a pyramid scheme where yeah. the people delivering these courses would be coaches and they'd get some money, but they'd give a lot of money to Jeff and Shalia, who went from something like sofa surfing to mm. having a million pound house mm. within a couple of years. And it was it was very it was predicated on that Jeff had always not wanted to work and he'd always kind of fancied himself. He was always like a cult leader in waiting yeah. for his whole life. And there was even stuff about it was more on the Netflix one, but about how he believed he was the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. And he kind of grew his hair out so he looked kind of like Greek 120 pound Jesus. <laughs> and, you know. But yeah, that's that's it. So a lot of apparently now it's more they're not as present online because there's been such of a hoo-ha, but they still have about 40 members. Right. Yeah. And these 40, I think, serious members, but Facebook groups and an online presence that is still quite significant. But it's it's overwhelmingly women. It's like 95% plus women. Right. So why do we think that is, Jen? <laughs> well, obviously, it's, you know, this idea that's sold to women that your romantic life and your family life, which is going to be based on your romantic life, is the most important thing in the world. And you won't be complete without it. Yes. Plus the whole femininity thing, that the idea that you're not enough yourself. You have to find someone else to live through and in many cases live off and be directed by. Or, you know, who are you really? Because these women were really in pain through being single. Not just the ones that had been, you know, broken up with by their boyfriends that they still like these ex-boyfriends but some of the ones just were like oh i haven't met anyone Mm. and they were really desperate to the point that they paid lots of money yeah to do these courses and there was they some of them like that that british woman had some marginal success i think because they encouraged them to be active in pursuing whatever And when they were active and showing, I'm doing all this work, our relationship didn't work out, but look how, basically how self-critical I am now through these mirror exercises. Some of them, very few, but some were able. And I just think the idea that you should be active in pursuing someone was quite a novel thing to a lot of these women. Of course, it went completely off the rails to the point people are arrested for stalking. But I think that was also just someone giving them permission to go like, oh, no, you can pursue this. Well, a man saying to, yes, do, yes. to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just um, there was no, I looked at their website, there was no kind of, um, yeah, just this idea that romantic love as such was it like kind of a given to your happiness? Can you turn the heat down slightly, please? Sure. Put it at like twenty. Okay. Um, that rom- th- there was like it was a bit of a given that romantic love, as such, 
was the key to happiness. That's kind of what underpinned all of it. So, of course, it's the kind of cult that would attract women. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, there's so many women that think this. It's rife even amongst radical feminist women. People, when you have a new relationship, people act like you've won the lottery. Mm. Like the people who fancy you but weren't forthcoming or whatever get really upset or angry or fall out with you. And then a lot of people get jealous and weird. And it's like, you know, I didn't just like win a boat made of gold or something. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I just think that a lot of women more so than men, because men are, you know, taught to consider themselves to be full human beings, a lot of women basically think it is winning. They think of it as winning the lottery, or it's something that must be done. And, like, you're a cripple, you're a human sort of, like, amoeba otherwise or something. Yeah. And I think there's a really simple narrative presented in, in media and culture, is you find the man, the man completes you happily ever after, And I think for some women, maybe because of some sensitivity or, you know, attachment problem or whatever, they just found that first, like the one woman who I think eventually ended up leaving the cult near the end of the, as an Amazon documentary, she was just rejected by a, or broken up with by a a man she dated for a few months in university. But because of whatever was going on with her, it was such a profound event. And I think for some women, they are just like really, 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 really extra sensitive to this. Yeah. And also I get that because I watched a thing the other day on a YouTuber called True Geordie. And he, he spoke to a woman who basically her, not husband, but partner she had a kid with. He had been a con artist that had done this with lots of different women, mm-hmm. told them all that he worked for the CIA and got money out of them and da da da. And she kind of, she did say, I partly blame rom-coms. Yeah. And there is this idea of, I think it's a very young person idea Mm. and very immature. I don't think women over 40 have it. And I think women start to lose it from about 30 onwards. This idea of the perfect partner anyway. Yes. It doesn't exist and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's always a price of admission. There's always some things you don't like or something that's not perfect but the point, like with everything in life, why would this be the exception to everything? Yeah. Have you ever done a course that you really enjoyed, but it was perfect? Mm. Have you ever been on a trip where like the plane journey there was perfect? Like it's such an unrealistic expectation. But I really think that a lot of, I hate to say, it, but immature, often young women carry this round with them. And they don't realize that, like the best partner is the one it works with, the one you feel the most commitment to, mm. you have the same values, you have you want to live the same kind of life, yeah, and you love them and care about them. Even this thing of like that love is really just care, in my opinion, that was absent. It's just this idealized thing, and you're searching for this thing outside of yourself. It's just a man. For all these women, it was a man, right? Apart yeah. from the lesbians. It was this this, uh, this idea that someone's gonna come and be perfect, and then your life will be perfect. This sounds like magical and crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely magical and crazy. And it is such an idea at the end of, like, the majority of films that have a woman character, the happy ending for her is that is a is a romance at the end of the film. And I just think we have a totally relationship and romance obsessed culture to the absolute max to the absolute max i was speaking i think it does affect men to a certain extent i think if men get to a certain age and they're not married or not 
don't have a long-term girlfriend. I had a male friend who um, went to a family wedding. I think he was like 33. And um, like he just overheard someone talking about them. Like, oh, oh, George, you know, he's doing really well in his career and everything's good. But like, he just doesn't have a girlfriend. And I just really wonder. And he was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I have a great life. I'm totally happy. Wonderful friends. Like, I'm really pleased with where I am. Why is the relationship the most important thing. I think we are completely obsessed. And just a point about women, in order to have, like, I think a partnership or a relationship that's like your significant main relationship that in which you share values, in which you, you know, are committed to something kind of greater to yourself, a greater project, like, you know, Simone de Beauvoir has this thing about you should have projects. You actually have to have a self. Yeah. You have to have a self to relate to. This is like, I think it's Esther Perel who says like eroticism actually comes from separation, from transcending the the, the um, divide the divide between one person's subjectivity and another. And if you don't have a really developed self and it's just all about the other. And this is what Jeremy Grew talks about in the female. But, but just to say, that's what that ideal thing is yeah. of the idea of collapsing the self into the other. That's yes. why it's thought of as utopian and perfect, because it originates in the undivided sense of love that you had as a baby mm. with your mother before you became differentiated. Mm. You can never go back to the state of differenti- undifferentiation. Yeah. Which is a tragedy. The sad thing. It's also just normal but development. But it's also just normal development. That's just yeah. the, the maturational process is one of separation. As you get older, you get more and more separate from your psychic objects. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jermaine Greer, like, talks about in The Female Eunuch. Oh, actually, I think it was Buddy Fried in the, um, the Feminine Mystique. How men get annoyed with women's lack of subjectivity. How men get annoyed with women's lack of self. Like, she just wants to hear everything that's going on in my work. And she's just obsessed with me. And she just wants to talk about me. And I just feel, I feel completely cloistered and um, um, encroached upon. And it's all a bit overwhelming. Um, it really, it actually, I think, can turn men off. That's true. But then some men, yeah. there is that idea. Uh, we've discussed it on the bimboism episode more, but this idea that a woman should be blank so that yeah. she can be filled with his subjectivity and then yeah. just reflect him back to him takes on his politics takes on his religion takes his surname often acquires his interests lives where he wants to live in many parts of the world lives with his family yeah so on so on i think that was betty freedom being a bit more positive about heterosexuality well i think it's true i think there's a limit but i think that men both get annoyed with it but also don't want a Skylar White yeah. from ba- from Breaking Bad, yeah. who's very clearly her own person, who's willing to be in opposition to your subjectivity yeah. when it's appropriate or the drop of a hat, whatever. Yeah. So I think that both men are constructed to desire that. And also, of course, it would be annoying. It'd be like being around a child. There's lesbians like this. Yeah. It's not just the heterosexual coupling. It's how women are produced to be as subjects where they think, I must reflect the other to be the perfect partner. I've had women do it to me and I'm like, why are they being like chameleons? Like they'll have arrived with one sense of humor that if I remember the right example, it was like hypersexual humor that I don't really appreciate. But she was around the whole LGBT gay world right. where that is dominated by hypersexual gay humor preferred by gay men. Mm. And then she like met me and my friends and over time she was like dropped it. Yeah. Uh, sort of like pretty immediately, like over a few weeks or a month. And then she'd adopted our humor and I noticed, and I just remember thinking, does this 
woman have like a sense of self or a subjectivity? And the answer was basically no. Yeah. And that's not attractive. But I understand that with a lot of men, they find it attractive. And then I think it can become suffocating. Mm. Yeah, I think it can become suffocating. And I think that's, I think it was just a bunch of young women who had basically, and also if you're in a lot of emotional pain, um, it always feels like heartbreak and emotional and grief and all those things. They always feel like they're going to be permanent. You're always like, oh, when is this ever going to end this horrible feeling? But the reality is, is there's no such thing as a permanent feeling. Yeah. It doesn't exist. And I think we need to tell women and men this, like things pass, you will get over it. It's, it's what it's what I tell people. I'm like, how bad do you feel now? And I know it feels like inescapable. In six months, yeah. you, wi- you will not feel it. Yeah. It's also just resilience. I mean, it's a bit of a mental health buzzword, but I think it's something that women are are not given the opportunity to develop, basically. Well, people think that the way that you make someone feel better is to coddle them and go, oh, no, that's so bad, and just agree with them. Yeah. And sort of go into them with it. Whereas one of the things is to acknowledge how they feel. That's the agreement bit sort of ticked. But a real acknowledgement and understanding. But then the way the containment works, it's not exactly you put a boundary, but you contain them by saying, look, this is the realistic mm. you know, external point of view here. Yeah. However bad you feel, you won't feel the same in six months' time. Yeah. Or however long. Yeah. So it's, it's no no surprise at all that this cult is 90% women. And I just think Jeff um, is probably an intelligent man in a certain sense. And he figured this out about women, basically. Probably from just talking to Shalia for long periods of time and figured this out. That's this whole thing since he was a kid was like, I want a business. I want to be rich. I want to find, and then he, I think he, he did successfully find a way to take advantage of desperate women. Well, it's like he even created the meal plan. And who is it other than gym bros that are interested in meal plans? It's women. Yeah. And I, and he had other scams he'd tried in the past. Like I have, I, I, another, other ways of trying to take advantage of desperate people. Like he was like, I have psychic powers to cure people's illnesses and I can do it for you over Facebook. And his flatmate slash high school best friend was like, oh, but my dad died of cancer or my mom, whoever it was. Like, I, I'm not really comfortable with you claiming that you can cure cancer. And he was like, oh, I'm just sorry that I didn't know your mom before she died. Because I could have cured her. Because I could have cured her. Yeah, no, it's taking people at their most desperate and vulnerable. It's a way to access vulnerable people. Yeah. People who are heartbroken, people who are searching for someone. Yeah. And I do feel like people who are really obsessed with the idea of searching for the one, they're probably not feeling great in their lives and great about themselves because otherwise you kind of just plod along in life and wait for someone to come by. Yeah. This is one of the things I say to my friends when they'll be like, oh, I've not met anyone in two years. I'm like, look, you have to tolerate the waiting in Mm. order to then be available for the right person to when they come along and I mean, it does happen. It's just sort of like statistically likely to happen over your lifetime for you to, if you're a young woman, to fall in love again. Yeah. Because it just, it happens every couple of years if you, you know, expand your social circles or do a new, like there are ways to do it. Okay, fine. Like yeah, expand your social circles, whatever, meet more people. I guess nowadays people go on dating apps, but I don't think that's necessarily fruitful. But 
those people, people who are dying of cancer, yeah. that's when people start to think, oh God, do I just, you know, do I don't need to pray to God enough. People start doing things they wouldn't usually do yeah. out of desperation. And he tapped into that. Yeah. Just a real piece of shit, basically. Well, the woman on the show that sort of explained that they hadn't done anything technically criminal, I really hope that they find something they did, even if it's just getting them on their taxes. Yeah, yeah. That's often how a lot of people go down. That's how I got Al Capone. Yeah. The other part, that, and it was this was addressed in the Amazon Prime documentary, was this all kind of accelerated over COVID. So over a time, people were feeling very socially isolated, very far away from people. And it was just this, like, um, affirmation of, of you're going to find your person and everything's going to come together. And there is something about, like, how people used to socialize and meet others used to be in real life, used to have real connections to real people. And some of the people who were on those Google Hangout calls won't have, like, spoken to a person in, like, several months. There's mm -hmm. also that, like, extra layer of vulnerability, basically. And it was very much a classic high-demand group in that it cut them off from their families. They were yeah. like, if anyone in your life objects to this then they're like a block or they're not good for you. And to be true to yourself and true to finding your your twin flame, you have to not, you have to go no contact yeah. with your friends and family. Basically then there's no reality testing. There's no one who can then raise questions. Mm. And again, it sort of just means then that, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that are isolated, but you just think you don't have a good friend or like a older friend or relative that can reality test it, this a bit, but also just, reality test romantic ideal and i was saying so many of my friends like this generally doesn't exist no. and there's always times where you think oh they're being a bloody idiot why haven't they washed their socks to <laughs> to use your example from earlier and that's fine and it's fine because you love them it's yeah. okay to be annoyed with each other or have an argument or be like why do they not close the fucking fridge or whatever <laughs> it might yeah. be because you love them, yeah. that's buffered by all of this. Mm. And again, you're setting yourself up for failure at, with this perfect thing. And I guess Jeff and Shalil just had this perfect front, supposed perfect front, just when they turned the camera on. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they were meant to be an example as well of the ideal. Yeah, they were like, we're twin flames. And I found my perfect twin flame union. I mean... They're really bizarre looking people in that he has an extraordinarily thin face. And she, I mean, I'm sorry, but she has an extraordinarily round face that doesn't seem to be fully attached to how much weight she has. Like, she isn't she, like, and there are points in the documentary where she is overweight and points where she's not. But even when she looks like a normal BMI, she has this very round Pe face. People find people that look different to them quite attractive. Uh, that must be it. But I think. What's going on with Shalia? Like, I just... I thought it was interesting. I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was her dad. It was someone that knew her and said, she's not a victim in this. It was her dad. She's been active in it. And she certainly seemed like that. I know she, he spoke more than her, but she kind of backed him up and she was living the lifestyle. I mean, they had this mansion. Then they had a few members living in the basement. Just mental. <laughs> very weird. Very weird. I mean, it's almost surprising and a good thing that it's not got darker. That I mean, the fact that women have well, now this is a good transition to the tr transgenderism bit. 
But the fact that women have cut off their breasts is pretty fucking dark. But I mean that there aren't sex slaves in the basement and Jeff right. isn't organising orgies of himself and his harem of 72 twin flames. Yeah, that we know of. I, I just mean that, like, there's no physical or sexual abuse that we know of. I think it, there's definitely psychological abuse. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I I mean the lines of... So what do we think of transgenderism in the whole documentary? The first thing to note, if you watch both the Netflix and the Amazon, don't watch the Amazon, is the they go to the documentary makers go to extreme lengths to make sure that it does not come across as a searing indictment of transgenderism, which is exactly what it is. They have um, trans-identified, whatever, um, academics. Interestingly, in the Netflix one, it was a woman pretending to be a man. In the Amazon one, it was a man pretending to be a woman. The man pretending to be a woman was allowed to be more honest because he's a man. Yeah. He actually said, he was like, no, 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 like, this is coercive and... I don't think these gender identities are real and this is all about recreating heterosexuality. And he also said, oh, being trans, you know, is your true self. No one needs to tell you. Yeah. And Jeff had kind of told people, it's like, well, we live under our ideology that tells us all kinds of things. But But yeah. And the woman just said some very, like, wishy-washy, vague kind of like, it's all about truth and authenticity. It's so American. It's mental. And I understand that. The idea of America was very much about, like, going to a new world and finding success and, you know, we're, we're pushing against the frontier. And in that way, transgenderism is a very American story. Well, the new frontier is yourself. Exactly. There is no more land. Yeah. You can't build a home anymore. Yeah, yeah. Not not feasibly. And and it, it you can find it in so that kind of narrative in so many American evangelical Christianity. I'm born again. I'm a new thing. Mormonism. Mormonism. Oh, massively. You can become a god, no less. Um, and transgenderism is a very American yeah. narrative in this way. I just sort of. I mean, when people did try and challenge Jeff, he got very angry and said, "Don't you disrespect me? Don't you speak to me like that?" Da da da. But I just thought it was. Interesting that I wonder, you know, because they clearly had screen recordings, I guess, of people that were in sessions and recorded this. That must be how they got the footage. No, they sold those as classes. That's how they... Including the bits where they scolded people. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I thought people must have been about to leave and then did a, you know, secret recording or something. No, no, no. That's how they... But my point was going to be that no one sort of just said, look... You don't, if this person's your twin flame, well, then it's fate and you don't need to go after them. Like, there were so many holes in their logic. Yeah. And they should feel the pull of your flame to theirs across the oceans or whatever. I think the theology of it is if you are in disunion with yourself, then you can't have your twin flame. So you need to do as much self-criticism, basically, as possible, become aligned with your chakras and then also be very active in pursuing it, and then it will happen. So if it didn't happen, it was because you hadn't done yeah. the work. And you needed to buy more courses. Yeah. And they said that as well. It was always like a next level. Yeah. But I, I think, very ironically, I, I wonder how these people, like these trans academics, manage the dissonance in their mind. He said it's about recreating heterosexuality. And I was like, 
yes, dumbass, that's what we've been saying. The idea that there's a divine feminine and a divine masculine is not... It's only semantically different than gender identity. Yeah. It's exactly the same idea. That's why they were able to hop from A to B with such ease. Mm. Completely. It's a, it's a kind of ex- internal force that is at mismatch with your outsides. That is unavoidable. It's an essence. It doesn't exist in the brain. And it doesn't exist in the body. And it doesn't exist in the blood. And it doesn't exist in the social world even. Because you could be a, a butch trans woman. <sighs> But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a metaphysical essence. It's a spirit or soul. It's a spirit or soul. It's exactly New Age spiritualism. And it's, and it's essential because it's who you are, even if you don't know it yet. Exactly. And even if you're uncomfortable with it. Exactly. It's just A to B. Completely. There, I, there is, it's not surprising to me at all that a cult like this would get into gender identity. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it solved the problem of the fact that they had very few men. Yeah. I think on the Netflix one, there was one man, or maybe two men, and then, of course, they just got paired up immediately, and then off they went. And there was one poor young woman who had a... She decided this first boyfriend of hers was a twin flame, and she got him back. But it turned out he had serious, severe, persistent mental illness and was, like, basically abusing her in this house and she was like oh this is my fault because i'm not in harmonious union with my twin flame it's just mental but yeah i think it's a really and i thought it was very funny how even they tried to even respect the pronouns of these women who were clearly coerced and abused into developing a fake gender identity yeah i mean i wonder how they reconcile people leaving i think like most cults they just think oh well they're gonna go off and live in misery now yeah and if they don't want this amazing life fuck them then yeah that's i think that's the attitude of most cults but i suppose we're gonna see more digital online cults yeah i can't imagine what else they'll be wrapped around other than love though (laughs) it could really be anything it could be anything I mean, there are, like, a lot of, like, radical um, extremist political ideologies organized online. Like, basically, that uh, we, uh, that that white nationalist group, Europa, I think it was called. There's, like, white nationalist groups who I think function very much like But cults. for this, it really hooked people in because it made them materially dependent. A lot of them were working full-time yes. as coaches for Jeff and Shalia. Shalia. So at that point... You're also thinking, I'm giving up my income. Yeah. Do I have enough money? How do I go and get a job now? A lot of them just went home to their parents. Yeah. Sort of went back to square one. Mm, So sad. It was so crazy when they would demand money off people and they'd say, you know, the person would be like, look, I'm only in part-time work. I just, I would love to do this extra course, but I just have the money. They'd say, no, if you wanted enough... you can make it happen yeah and then that mother that was recalling that her daughter she got really concerned when her daughter said but mom don't you know if you want something enough it happens and it was like uh no sweetheart no it doesn't but this kind of thinking a bit like that book the secret i was gonna say it's just like new age stuff it must feel very to use a word i don't exactly like very much empowering yeah because you think oh actually things aren't far from me things Mm. are are within my reach yeah I know, New Age spirituality, I can't quite figure it out and hold it in my mind. Because what I don't understand about it, maybe this is just my personality type or whatever, 
I don't understand how it's Hinduism and Buddhism and um, uh, indigenous spirituality and all of the above. Everything except the Abrahamic religions mashed together. Well, it has that, what's it called, like money gospel Prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Yeah, and in this way, it's also very American. But I, I, I don't understand New Age people. I asked one. I knew one. I said, but is this more Hinduism? Is this more, is this more pagan, witchy? Like, what, what is this? And it's always, no, it's a mismatch. I cannot hold it in my mind. What? Like, pick a thing. But I think the whole point is that it, it attracts and keeps people going because it can be whatever you want. Yeah. Because it's really nothing. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. therefore it can be any kind of picture that you want it to be. Yeah. And then the next week when that's not working, you change it and you tweak it and you go, well, this is the thing that's going to supply me with wealth or happiness or whatever. Yeah. But selling people love and money. Yeah. You can see the appeal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... I just, yeah. I mean, when people look at their parents' relationships, don't they think to say, oh, so you two in endless love forever? <laughs> like, obviously, no. Well, like, they would say it's because they haven't done the work on themselves. Their oh, shoulders right. aren't aligned. That's they not to it. say people can be in love over the course of their lives, but the idea that it's this romantic dreamboat, yeah. ever-present heaven mm. is really just it doesn't exist it doesn't exist and that's fine and that yeah. really seemed to be what they were going for because it was this ultimate dream of almost like getting to you know heaven yeah. or um, entering nirvana with someone yeah 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 and all your problems will go away and yeah but this is the this is the the narrative in media i mean i i've always been Maybe because I'm just quite a stubborn person. When everyone talked about media depictions, I was always like, mm, isn't that convincing? But I guess if you see it again and again and again, and then it's also reinforced by culture. It's also your mum talking about, oh, you know, like, I'm, so, I'm going to be so excited to see you on your wedding day. It's the best day of your life mm. or whatever. Like, it just gets reinforced culturally. It's also, and probably the ultimate reinforcement is watching your parents. And thinking my mom sacrifices so much for my dad. I just don't understand how media depictions are that convincing. Well, I think that they often don't show the sacrifice. The film ends at the point of the love and the marriage. Before then, it's the having to deal with children, how difficult that is. Finding out that maybe your partner doesn't want an equal share of the household chores. Finding out that you have to give up this hobby... Yeah. That you are not going to get that promotion at work, so you're going to have to work part-time for the next 15 years. That sacrifice often is not depicted. Yeah. Because then women would be like, oh, right, no. Though I think there's much more awareness about this nowadays. But then they've also romanticised women's sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. And the only sacrifice I can think of for men that's romanticised is the idea of a provider. Yeah. That I'm going to do loads of work, and that's a bit of a Mm. sacrifice in that I'm giving up my free time, and it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to provide. But, uh, yeah, I think there's there's never many sensible conversations going on about relationships, though. All the time, like, you know, we were talking about this earlier, like female friendships will have someone that will talk endlessly about their boyfriend. And then eventually the endless talk becomes all of the problems that they have. Yeah. And it can be small scale or big scale. Often they will make it out to be very big scale to get the attention of a feminist. Yeah. And then when you hear about it, it's a little bit more, what's the expression? Half of one, six a dozen of the other. Six of one, one half, half a dozen, dozen of the other. other. 
but that there isn't this um a relationship where there isn't conflict yeah and i think it's then basically trying to explain to people like look there is the romantic phase then there's the conflict phase and if you can manage to do conflict together well and sort things out which requires you both being very mature adults then you can have the commitment phase but yeah. the idea that you think this can't continue because of the conflict phase it's only if you can't sort things out well mm. and okay then you're incompatible and there you go but people think that means it's bad that we argue is bad yeah because that was the other thing they said they said harmonious union like right. it won't even be with your if you're maybe you're with your twin flame but it's not harmonious and we guarantee harmonious union well it's it plays on women's fear of conflict yeah and a lot of women are very bad at conflict because they've avoided it especially middle class women i don't really mean working class women here yeah middle class women often don't have to go work on a shop floor with people they don't get on with or they had a row with yesterday yeah they can either quit that job or they work in an environment where rows don't happen yeah so they get very good at avoiding those things that becomes the tactic they use and the whole thing in a relationship is you can't really avoid the other yeah which you know that's i guess that's the the format of a relationship and i think that it's like those studies that say people that argue too much break up more but also people that don't argue at all tend to break up more yeah because it is this thing of well you only know you can sort something out if you've had a humdinger of an argument yeah yeah anyway i just think it was all very sad at the end i'm glad that a lot of people left though i'm glad people left i just really want someone to go raid that house and shut it down and put jeff in prison if not shalia they need like you know how there was uh, the rico laws that they invented to get the mobsters in jail, basically mm-hmm. racketeering. I forget what the acronym stands for. They need like an equivalent for cults. I mean, the thing is, it was sort of a pyramid scheme, but not quite, because I think pyramid schemes are illegal, but it was maybe shy of that. Nope. The only pyramid schemes are legal in the, in the US, basically. Amway, the biggest pyramid scheme in the world, lobbied the US government to make the law, if you sell anything, it's not a pyramid scheme. Even if the majority of the money comes from recruiting, as long as you're selling a product, it can't be called a pyramid scheme. Okay. And that was Amway. And Betsy DeVos, the um, head of education in the US, the partner of education, was rich from Amway. So it's all in, she's from the Amway family. So it's all in the government. Okay, yeah, well, they're not going to get them on that then. They sold a lot of courses. yeah. <laughs> And I don't think it was exactly a pyramid. What they explained in the Amazon documentary is that they would have coaches and coaches would keep all their money. But in order to do the coaching, you had to buy Jeff and Shalia's course. Mm -hmm. So they would just, every time a coach would sign someone up, they would go and do Jeff and Shalia's course, which were like two grand. Some of them were more than that. Yeah. And I assume they just put out new course after new course. Yeah. I mean, their, their course was them just recording on Zoom. Yeah. And sitting there pompously. Yeah, just really. I I also think there is something about someone saying to women, women, what to do with confidence. Yes. Well, the vice woman, or maybe it was the Vanity Fair woman, she said, he really looks at you in the eyes. Yeah. And it's quite beguiling and hypnotic. Mm. And there are cult leaders that have a lot of charisma, basically. Yeah. And they often can't follow it up. And the big test is to disagree with them. Yeah. Then they go nuts. Andrew Tate can't handle disagreement. No. People I've met previously that weren't very talented but probably would like to run a cult if they uh, could, 
any kind of there's very brittle yeah and it's testing that brittleness because actually if it's if someone is convincing or confident of their arguments whatever they're selling if you're not a snake oil salesman you actually don't mind objections arguments whatever. yeah 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 so yeah he he definitely did try and become the sort of guru if a guru could exist in america i sort of think they probably would have been better basing themselves in california but it what it didn't need to be it was online yeah yeah so anyway watch the documentary and tell us what you think give us your insights yeah yeah no it's definitely an interesting cultural artifact it's very 2020s it's very online it's very yeah very millennial it's also very in line with you know there is a criticism within i think the female separatism sort of lesbian feminism part of radical feminism that this idea that romance sort of can entrap women or it's yeah it's all a bit of a falsity yeah now of course they mean romance with men but they don't say that they just because the assumption is it's women with men yeah but this idea that it's a kind of lure for women into something bad, which mm. by that they mean marriage and children. But you can see that there is this huge ideological pull. Yeah. And that f- people feel it really, really deeply. Well, because it does cut to the core, I think, of a lot of who women are and who they want to be. And it's kind of your most, like, dearly held feelings. What I found interesting, though, is some of them had been in long-term relationships and there is a period of delirium and then it just feels normal. It does feel nice, but it was sort of like they, the, the extent of which they sought this sort of was as if it was a drug. It was as yeah. if they just wanted the delirium again. Mm. And it's kind of like, but you know, if these things progress, <laughs> it's not delirium forever. Yeah. So, but yeah, and, and that supposedly they'd done that cycle, but I think it was very much to do with attachment and... Yeah, I think there are some people because of early childhood experiences. They don't feel secure unless they're in a relationship. I, I've known some women that were like, I couldn't spend the night alone. Yeah, I know women like that too. I would literally, they would say like, I would literally bring anyone home. Yeah. And I think that to get out of the danger thing, they wouldn't go to the other person's house. Mm. They would try and get someone to stay over with them. But, yeah, no, I've known women who are like that. But almost like they couldn't spend time alone. And if they didn't live with a man, they had to live with like flatmates. Yeah. 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 So it also becomes that thing of wanting to spend your time alone a bit. But all these women will have been, they will have been anxiously attached. Yeah. I don't think any of them will have been avoidance. No. Who quite like spending time alone. Yeah. I speak I speak from experience. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And catch us next week. Catch you next week. Bye.